Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Ezekiel's name means God strengthens. And I think Ezekiel needed some strength. He was the son of a man called Boozy. <laughs> Buzzy. Buzzy. And he was a member of the Zadokite family. So it was Ezekiel Zadokite. And his, this was a family of priests. So he would have been raised up knowing he was becoming a priest. So his dad's a priest, you know, pastor's kid. And he would have spent most of his time uh, early on as a young kid being trained up, going to classes, learning huge portions of the Old Testament off by heart. And, you know, learning all the, the first five books of Moses, he probably could recite them verbatim in those days. They used their memory so much, no, no video games. So he would have learnt them all off by heart and he would have been looking forward to a career in the priesthood, busy, I don't know, slaughtering animals or taking up offerings and um, that, was, that was his life. But it was a turbulent time when he was living. It was about 593 BC. So you understand that time in the Bible is measured from Jesus so we're 2010 AD, is it AD? After Jesus, 2011. <laughs> yep, yep, getting there. <laughs> After Jesus and, and then time in the Old Testament, you, me, you measure it that way. So it's 593 years before his birth. So the time goes backwards. So um, he was around about that time and they had the king, but the kings of Israel had not all been altogether good, as we know. Some of them have been very very evil and so it was a turbulent kind of difficult time there was rumors of war rumors that that you know bad things were going to happen Ezekiel would have been aware of some of the other prophets Isaiah and different ones who were saying we're going to be taken over you guys are going to go we've had enough so it would have been a sort of a scary time to some to some extent and and a turbulent time and not quite knowing you know is it now are we just too bad and praying God you know can we can you save us? But perhaps knowing in your heart, you know, sometimes, do you ever get that feeling I get it sometimes where I really don't want something to happen, but God's telling me it's going to happen? Do you ever get that? I get that sometimes. Like, there's something I really don't want to happen, it's going to happen. I don't want, no, okay, God, I'm really going to pray it doesn't happen, but God says it's going to happen. I'm like, Argh. you know, there's no getting out of it, it's going to happen. And I think you may have had that feeling. And sure enough, the Babylonians came along when he was, we're not quite sure exactly, probably maybe in his early 20s or so, and, um, and took them all off and took them over into Babylon, into what is now Syria. And he was, so try to imagine that if you can. Imagine that you're, you're here in church, you've got a great building. <laughs> they had a great building, it was called the temple. It was beautiful, awesome building. He's set to work there, he's got his family there, he's got life. It's a little bit turbulent, but it's not too bad. And then the next thing you know, the foreigners come in, it's just, you know, they've got a name for it in the army. Hudson says they always fight against the, um, they've got some country, can't remember some fictional country that the Australian Army have been fighting against for years and years. They always use their name, so as not to offend anyone. Um, and it sort of shifts. But anyway, let's, these people come in. Let's just imagine it's the Indonesians or the Chinese. How would you feel? Twenty years old, and they say, right, and you get you on the boats, on the ships, on the plane. Out, we're all going out, and they've, you know, they, you leave your home, all your stuff, everything's left behind. You're taken off into these refugee camps over in Indonesia, or China, or some foreign country. Not, not trying to say anything bad about them, but just foreign. Maybe it was New Zealand, you know, wherever. So <laughs> taken away. and But it was a foreign, no speak. You couldn't understand the language. And you're in the refugee camps. 
You got no, and, and it's, it would have been very, very, very sad. And not only that, but you, there's no church anymore. There's nothing's going on. And it just, that's what happened to Ezekiel. So he was taken off into captivity and he's just like, like, apart from the fact, like, apart from, what do I even do? Like he's, he's lost his career. <laughs> he's not going to be working as a priest in the temple anymore. That's for sure. Very, very difficult time. Very, very sad time. Sad, sad time for the people. And they knew they deserved it too. Not him personally but all of them. Yet, Ezekiel, great guy. I don't know what he was doing, but he gets to the age of 30. And he, there he was in this place. He, was the, he lived in Tel Abib on the canal near Nippa, which is now a place in Syria, well away from Israel. And it, and it says this, In the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kiba River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. <laughs> I just love that so much. The heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Awesome. I don't care where you are or how far away from God you've been dragged, either by your own foolish sin or by somebody else's. God is always able to open up the heavens and you can see God. And from that point on, your life will never, ever be the same. Never the same. Once, once those heavens open and you see visions from God, wow. And his visions are like, whoa. I mean, I've been reading the first chapter of Ezekiel, which some of you will remember, you know, there's, there's wheels and there's wheels turning inside the wheel and there's eyes on the wheels and, and there's creatures on the, and you're just kind of like, what does it mean? It doesn't matter who you read. No one really knows. It's kind of like, uh, <laughs> not sure. I don't know. I've read it and read it. I, I, I don't really have a, a real meaning except that God was moving and looking and things were happening. It's very exciting. But it's so exciting to know that God is there. He's always speaking. God is always wanting to speak to his people. He's always wanting to to reveal himself to us. And that's so important because one vision from God, one word from God can change our lives forever. And let's just keep that. I believe that Ezekiel had a passion. I believe that he, he refused to allow his circumstances to keep him away from God. If he'd have had his head down in the sand, in, you know, in depression in Syria, I doubt very much whether he would have seen visions of God. He was, he was a man who was hungry for God. He'd been trained up as a man of God. He'd been trained up in the priesthood and he refused to just, to, to sink into depression. You know, how would you feel if you'd trained, you know, 10, 15 years to be a, a doctor, say, you know, and then be told you'll never be allowed to be in medicine. You, that's it. I mean, it does, it does happen. I actually, I remember when I was first met Chris, his, his, uh, GP was a, from Czechoslovakia, I think, and she trained as a, 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 a doctor in Czechoslovakia. And that, you know, they, I mean, I knew some, you know, medical people that are trained under communist systems they're not stupid they spent a long time studying and he, she was a very good doctor when she came out back to australia as a refugee years and years ago they said no nah, doesn't count but she went back to uni and did it all over again can you imagine <laughs> they're not quite so hard on them these days but um that, that's a that's a rough call isn't it so he's lost all his training and how would you feel you've lost all your training oh great can't be a priest now what am i going to do i can't be in that's all gone and that probably has happened to some of you. You lose your career, it's all gone, bang, useless. Can't use anything I've studied for, can't use my degree, 
What, what am I going to do? What's God going to do with me? I'm useless. <laughs> but God has a way. God has a way. And so because Ezekiel had that heart, the heavens were open and he says, and I saw visions of God. Not only that, it goes further, but he says that he saw the glory of God. He saw a vision in verse 27. I saw from what appeared to be the waist up, he looked like he, had, he was full of glowing metal and full of fire. He, he looked like fire and brilliant light surrounded him. There was the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. There was radiance all around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. It's like, whoa. It just, it, I just get thrilled just reading that. Isn't it exciting? He, and I like the way when he describes it, he says, well, it was like, it was sort of like this. He's not saying it was a rainbow. He was saying it was like that and it was like his body was like glowing metal. He could try to think what... How could he describe it? And I believe, you know, God is always wanting to reveal something of himself to every generation in an amazing way. Really. I mean, I don't think we're all going to have visions like this, but in every generation, people do. People do. And, I don't, you know, just, I don't know why, but at the moment I keep hearing and reading about people who have visions of heaven and all sorts of things. I read this great book called Heaven is for Real. That little boy, some of you read it? Anyone read it? It's a fun book. You've got to read it. It's hot, top of the pops right now. Yeah. A little boy in America, and he um, he died on the operating table. And, uh, you know, his parents were freaking out. His dad was a pastor, and he was praying his heart out. He was actually getting angry with God in one room. And his wife was ringing out other people in another room, de- desperately praying for the little boy. He, his appendix burst, and he was um, – they didn't know. They didn't realize, so he, he was poisoned. And he – they, they – he, he died. They didn't quite realize he died. The doctors knew it was like this close, but he actually did die. And then later, when he finally got better, he um, said to, he was only little, he said, I saw your dad praying in that room. And he was like, what do you mean? He says, you were praying in the room and mum was in the other room and she was on the phone. He's like, what? What? He was on the operating table. You know, what, what are we talking about here? And then he, and he started to just share little bits and pieces. He said, when, when did you see that? He says, when I went to heaven, he said, right, yeah, it was this cool book. And he goes, oh. And so then the rest of the book is them, because they can't, because he's so little, with little kids, if you say, did you do this? I go, yeah. But they can't do that. So the rest of the book is them kind of saying, what happened, you know? And what did he see? And it's just cool seeing this kid describe different things that he saw. And um, I really liked one stage he was talking about, um, he said something about, oh, that, that would have been Pop that, you know, Pop said that. And the dad said, Pop? How do you mean Pop? Which Pop? He says, you know, Pop, your Pop. He says, my grandfather. And he says, yeah, yeah, I met him in heaven. We, sat, we hung out. And he was like, oh. Because his grandfather, who he loved, died when he was five or six. Only he was young. The father was young. And, and he said, tell me about Pop. And so he told him what he said. And apparently he went up and he said, are you, I can't remember the guy's name, John or something. Are you, are you John's grandson? And he said, yeah, and he says, yeah, I'm his granddad. <laughs> he was like, oh, no, he's John's son. I'm his granddad. And it was like, ah. So they hung out together. And then he was all so excited that Daddy rang his, I think it was his, his mother or someone, said, have you got a photo of Pop, you know? She says, yeah, yeah. So they get a photo of him and show it to the boy and say, look here, is this, is this Pop? Is this who you saw in heaven? And he goes, no. And they're like, oh. He says, no, that's not him. 
And they were like, oh, and then he sort of thought, hang on a sec. So he says, have you got another photo of Pop when he was about 30? So we got another photo of Pop and they showed, is this Pop? And he went, yeah, that's Pop. And I thought, oh, isn't that cool? So we're all, and he, goes, and he said, Dad, nobody's old in heaven. And so it was just very cool, very, very cool. And it's exciting because you read things like that and you think, oh, you know, it's so temporary, so temporary. And I was checking out this little kid. He's all on, you know, he's on the, um, on the Google. He's been interviewed by all the TV stations, all of them. So it's quite a normal kid. But I was watching that and then later on, lately also I've been seeing this show called I Survived Beyond and Back which is really cool if you get Foxtel. Has anyone else seen that? Why is it? I love it. Do you like it? I love that show. I survived normally, but this is beyond and back, okay? So these are people that die and have experiences where they go to heaven or they go, one guy went to hell. <laughs> and um, so, and again, just, you just, these people are so, he was happy. He was happy to come back. So it's just so, to see people, you can see that these people are for real. You know, apart from the fact that there's a remarkable similarity. There's all, every generation people talk about having visited heaven. God, I believe God puts people like this in every generation. It's not for all of us, but it's, it's just a witness to let us know, just a little sneak peek. I actually asked God about it because I was like, oh, can I? Like, <laughs> But it's actually not an easy ministry because, you know, most of them come back, they don't want to be here. So you then got to live the rest of your life going, I really don't want to be here. And you know, remember Ian McCormack, who's the, I call him the box jellyfish guy. I remember the guy who got stung by box jellyfishes and he went to heaven for quite a while. And we had him to preach in our church. So he came and, and had lunch with us and I just loved talking to him and asking him about it. But he was a curious guy because he was just so kind of, he was just like, oh yeah. He was like he was on holiday. You know when you're on holidays and you don't care about anything? That's what he was like, but that's his whole life. Because he really just doesn't care. Like he has his, he says, yeah, these guys, because he's got this amazing story. And some guys says, yeah, you've got to sell it. You, you make a fortune. You've got to package your CD and sell it. He says, yeah, I can't, can't just give it away. I can't really be bothered. You know, it just doesn't matter. He was just so, I just remember he had this attitude of, he just sort of, and then every, everywhere he goes, because I Googled him as well and found him, and there he was, still on TV, still telling the same story, I thought, and looking older, because he's about my age, and I thought, oh, bless him, look at him, he's got old, and there he is still telling the same story. I thought, now there's a job, the same story for 30 years, over and over again. See, it's quite a, it's quite a burden, really, to have such a vision. <laughs> You've got to tell the same story over and over again, and he did. He was telling the same story that I'd heard him myself tell three times, and I was like... Oh, bless him. And you know, when he got to the bit where he saw Jesus, he still cried. He still cried. I thought, how many times have you told about when you saw Jesus? How many times have you said that? And he still was like, he still teared up. I was just like, oh, it's so fresh. After 30 years of telling the same story, he still tears up. Bless his heart. So God is into seeing visions. He's into it. He may, it may not be for us. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I tell you another one more thing before I get off heaven. I just want to talk about this the whole time. It's so fun, isn't it? I'm right into it. But, um, you know, they all talk about the colors. I love that. They talk about the colors. There's one woman and she went out there and she's the first thing she said, and then I was aware of this color, this, and I don't think they know exactly. Some of them say they've never, they can't, they've got no word for the color. It's not in our language, the colors, because it's completely off the spectrum that we have. But others of them say it was sort of like magenta. It was kind of this. It was just these amazing colors. And he's saying this too. He's trying to describe this glowing metal, like this glowing color and then the rainbow colors and, 
And they just all describe these amazing colours. And this one woman described the colour. And then she just said this. So you can't script this. This is what she said. She says, and then God took me out into the, into the heavens and I saw the past and the present and the future. Just like that. I saw the past and the present. It's just like, zoom, there's that. <laughs> I know. Like, and you sort of think, what did it look like? You know, what does, what does, it's, I love it. Very cool. So all the colors of heaven, which you can hardly describe. You can just like, ah, ah. I know for myself, and some of you will know when I got saved, you know, God opened the heaven for me just for a brief moment. And this, I saw this light from heaven. And that, I've often thought about it. I remember trying to describe that color. That was, this is my own little experience, but, well, it wasn't little for me, obviously, but I just remember the next day, I remember telling my mum the next day and not knowing how to describe the colour. I remember thinking that it was kind of gold but green. And I was thinking about that when preparing this message. I thought, well, what colour was that that I saw? And I thought, yeah, I know that experience because I remember now that I think about it, I've never really been able to describe the colour. Like I just remember thinking it was ah, gold and kind of green on the outside. That's how I always thought of it. But there's just these amazing colours and this glory. And that, my friends, is where we are going. How exciting. But we've got to be here on earth for a little bit first, okay? So <laughs> there's nothing like telling children about heaven, you know. I remember telling Hudson about heaven. He was, he was right into it because I get into it and he gets very excited. And I remember him standing on a veranda once. We were in Russia. He was too, saying, Mum, what would happen if I jumped off this veranda? I said, well, Hud, I said, you'd probably die. And he goes, well, and then I get to go to heaven? It's like, yes, but we don't want that, do we? Because... You need to be on earth for a while to do lots of good things and work hard and, you know, and he was like, I said, you know, so I had to explain that, you know, so don't get your kids too excited about heaven because they might get some bad ideas. I still have to explain that to my son, Hudson. Just heard he's got another couple of broken bones. Just in the car on the way here. Bethany casually mentioned, oh, yeah, he's broken his eye socket. Yeah, yeah, I just heard that in the car on the way here. I'm like, okay, good, yay. And a thumb, a thumb, so... Bless God. So we're still teaching our kids not to go to heaven yet, aren't we? <laughs> so enough of this rambling away about heaven. This is what happens when you preach on Ezekiel because this is what the guy's like. I mean, they actually say this. They talk about him as being the first charismatic because he's just, he's just out there. He's seeing visions of God. He's seeing the glory of God and he's very spiritual man. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's seeing God. He's hearing from God. But in the midst of being all spiritual and heavenly, which we all want to be all the time, don't we? We just want to worship God and see God and have visions of God. But in the meantime, God's got work for us to do here on earth. And so God spoke to Ezekiel and said, Ezekiel, go to the people of Israel and speak my word to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. So here's his call. We've we've had the glory times. And we love to talk about how we want to, we love the tingle. Who loves the tingles and the, oh, just love that stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. God loves to bless us. But we've sort of got to get up nine o'clock in the morning and get off to work, don't we? <laughs> and for him, his job was to go to his own people. And it's important to know where God has called you. And I think this is true for most of us. He wasn't called to the foreigners. He wasn't called overseas. He said, I'm not calling you to, I'm, you're going to call, go to people who, your own people. But I want you to go and speak to your own people and tell them the word of God. Tell them that what I want to say to them. And he had to encourage him. He said this, don't be afraid of them or terrified because they are a rebellious people. And he said, 
Whether they listen or fail to listen, because they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So do not be afraid of them, because I'm sending you among scorpions. So it's a very interesting scripture there that he was saying that we need to go, and I believe this is really for us too, that we need to go and speak to our own people, people of the Central Coast, the people of our own language, and we need courage to do that. And he's saying there are rebellious people. There, there are people that are really not interested in God, really not wanting to know about where we're at, not, not wanting to hear about this, but we still have to go and we still have to give them the opportunity to listen. And it takes courage to do that. It takes courage to speak to people who don't want to speak. And it's quite, to listen, it's quite easy in some ways to just sort of think, well, you know, why bother? They're not interested. I'm tired of asking these people to church. I don't want to, I don't want to put the brochures out in Wyoming. I don't want to do, you know, we've tried all that. They don't want to come. But that's not what God is calling us to do. He's saying, I want you to have the opportunity. They've got to have an opportunity. And so it's not, always about results we don't preach the gospel we don't go and tell people to come to church and ask them to church because they're going to come i mean we'd like them to and some of them will but let's face it a lot of them don't but we've got to give them the opportunity we've got to give them the choice and that's exactly what god was saying to ezekiel he said you're going to have to take have a lot of courage to tell people about jesus who don't want to hear about jesus to ask people to church and like you know but with, that's what God is, I believe God is calling us to do that, to keep reaching out, to keep loving. You know, and sometimes, I mean, you know, Bev had that with, with Julie, who kept nagging her to come to church. And Bev eventually came because she just wanted to, oh, just shut her up or something. I don't know. <laughs> I've had enough. So you never know whether that person's going to come or not. So let me encourage you for that we can learn from Ezekiel that he had a very difficult ministry. Okay, yes, he had the great times when he went to church and he felt the anointing and he saw the glory of God more than all of us. But then his daily work was to go and talk to people who didn't want to listen to him. And that's really not fun. Really not fun. And that's why God said he had to be very, very brave. And I just want us to all take that courage to keep saying things, to keep making the comments, you know, to... I saw a website the other day and it's uh, encouraging, I think it was a pro-gay marriage website and um, was Beth, for some reason Bethany was on it and all her school friends were saying, yeah, yeah, you know, pro-gay marriage. And, of course, nobody would say anything. No, it was very quiet. And then, I don't know how, but Johnny Lee Clary finds the site. <laughs> so Johnny Lee wrote this big thing like that saying, now look, I'm not, I am against gay marriage and these are the reasons. And he, you know, this, he gave his reasons and he spoke actually, he wrote very well, very clearly and very well and just spoke what, you know, what marriage represented and that it was God. And he said, you know, what people do in their own rooms, they're going to have to be accountable to God for that. But, you know, in terms of a social um, institution, marriage is between a man and a woman. And he spoke very well. But it just struck me, you know, he's a very brave guy, isn't he? Because when I looked at that website, I didn't want to write anything on it. I can tell you right now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going there. I mean, you just, you get slammed for that kind of thing in our society at the moment. And, uh, but he, you know, he just goes there. He just, yeah, no, no, this is what it is. And he's, he's very, br- I mean, I guess because he's been in the Ku Klux Klan and he's, he just, he's not afraid of anything. But it does take courage to, to stand up and, and wisdom. I'm not saying we should necessarily always say things. You know, I think sometimes it's best to keep quiet. I really do. I think sometimes it's just no point. But not all the time, hey. You know, it's very easy to go, oh, well, they're not going to listen, so I'll say nothing. And, you know, some people say nothing so many times, so much, that nobody knows they're even a Christian. 
I mean, what's that all about? You know, you hear about, I hear about kids listen to a Christian band and then they say, oh, yeah, they're a Christian band. Nobody knows, but, you know, they are a Christian band. I think, well, what? <laughs> Where, where's the courage in that? Where's the value in that, you know? The Bible says the world will hate you. Now, I'm sorry if hating you doesn't sell very many records. That's just the way it is, you know. But let's not kind of sell out in order to make money. We've got to be like him. I mean, how's he making money going around telling everyone that? And what was he telling them? He wasn't telling them good stuff, believe me. The next few chapters, it's just like, God is angry with you. You've been a rebellious people and Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And they're all like, no, it's not. Like, they were in exile. They'd already been taken in exile, but they just held on to the fact that no, Jerusalem will be alright. It'll still, they won't kill, they won't get rid of Jerusalem because they love Jerusalem, the Jews. They still do. You know, they, they loved it. And they said, no, no, it's gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, he's gonna destroy the temple, which was a horrible message for them. And that's what his message was. And they didn't like hearing it. But you've gotta, you've gotta have the courage to take, to say what God wants to say. You know? Just take it. Just the other day I got an email from someone who, you know, I like to do marriage counseling and, so I've been doing marriage counseling for this couple and the guy is a really spiritual guy. He does yoga and he just, just loved us. He still, I mean, he loves us. So he'd not heard much Christian sort of wisdom before. And when you first hear Christian wisdom, it's a delight, isn't it? So even though I'm only giving marriage counseling, I wasn't talking, you know, I wasn't saying the gospel. He was just like, wow. And he, he was describing something that he did, something that he said. And he said, well, I like to speak the truth. And she was like, well, yeah, honey, but you know, and then I said, well, you know, what you need to do is speak the truth in love. The truth surrounded by love. He went, wow. I love that. He's like the truth surrounded by love. And the next time I saw him, he was saying, I've been doing that. You know, the truth, but surrounded by love. He says, I like the concept. He said, I really like the concept. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I said, and I think I may have actually referenced. I said, well... It is actually in the Bible. Like I may have actually given credit where credit's due, you know. But he loved it. Anyway, he sent me an email the other day and he just said, you know, you guys are so amazing. You've been such a blessing to it. He didn't use the word blessing, but he used some other yoga term, you know, some spiritual term. But you're just, you know, very wise and da-da-da and rave, rave, rave. And I sort of read it and thought, yeah, that's nice. And then I just thought, yeah. And so I wrote back. I said, <laughs> I just couldn't read. So I said, thanks, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And then I said, but if you think we're great, you should meet God. <laughs> I just couldn't resist. I thought, hey, mate, you know, it's just God. You're just falling in love with God in us. That's all. So I just said, you should meet God. So let's see if he does. Let's hope he does. But we've got to do that. You know, just take the, just be, have courage, say what needs to be said. He actually, in, um, he spoke to false prophets in 1310. I'm just giving, throwing out versions if you're taking notes, but he said to some of these prophets, they said, you, you lead my people astray. You say peace when there is, there is no peace. You say peace when there is no peace. Now let's make sure we don't do that. So that's when someone comes up to you and says, well, you know, I just think that God doesn't mind if, you know, we just all have different paths and we do our own thing and, you know, I just think different ways or get to heaven. You know how people say that kind of thing to you. Now, do you say peace when there's no peace? In other words, do you say, yeah, sure. And inside you're thinking, well, that's wrong. Because if you say, yeah, I agree, that's fine, then you're a false prophet because you're saying peace. You're saying that's okay and it's not okay. So, you know, you have to be prepared to, to, to confront these things and obviously very gently and with wisdom, but we have to be, we have to give people a choice. 
And he was angry. He said to those guys, he says, I'm really angry with you for telling them it's okay when it's not okay. So, you know, we have to have that courage. We have to be accountable. And look at this, what he said in 3.19 to, to um, he said to Ezekiel, listen to this, you, you, you need to warn them. And you, he says, if, if, when I say to a wicked person, you shall surely die. If you don't warn them and speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save them, that wicked person will die. And I will hold you accountable for his death. How about that? (laughs) But if you do warn them and they still don't turn away from their wickedness, they'll still die, but you will have saved yourself. That's pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? If you don't warn them, so we are held accountable. We are, we are called to be the watchmen in this earth. We are called to be the ones that are bringing the gospel of Jesus. We have to tell people that they need a savior to be saved. And if we say, no, you don't need a savior. You don't need Jesus. Just do your own thing or just be good. Or, or if we say nothing, God's holding us accountable for that because he's given us. The Bible says in the New Testament, this isn't just Old Testament stuff. It says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And we don't have a choice to just go, well, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm just not going to say anything. Or I'm just going to leave it to Haddon because he's brave and he's an evangelist and I don't like doing that kind of stuff. I just, I actually really like when people like me. Well, so do I. I like being liked as much as you do. And I'm telling you right now that people will reject you when you put this to them that they need a savior or when you put to them that actually that's not good enough or when you put to them that no, I actually do believe in hell. You believe in hell? You, or, or when you're actually now, you know, again, being careful when you put to them that certain things are a sin and not acceptable to God. You do it if you want, but you just need to know that God, that's not acceptable to God. So, you know, it's strong stuff, very strong stuff. And he didn't, we don't, there's no mention of much repentance here. So you preach, we preach whether you get results or not. Okay, we obey God and we believe for results, but I don't know that Ezekiel got many. I'm telling you, there's... They just got angry with him most of the way through. But his job was to obey. And our job is to obey, to preach. And to, we, I, you know, I'd love to see more results. I'd love to see thousands of people be saved. And maybe they will. We'll keep believing for it. But, it, we, but we, keep, we keep serving God either way, don't we? Because not everything that counts can be counted. Bless God. So in the middle of all this, I should mention he did some strange (laughs) i had to lie on his side for 390 days too yeah god said i want you to lie on one side for 390 days the other side for 40 so that was as a sort of a symbol and he had to he drew a picture of jerusalem and showed that jerusalem was going to be destroyed and then had to lie on his side so that was like a symbol of you know what was going to happen to jerusalem that it was uncomfortable i guess but that's weird isn't it how would you like to be how what if god told you to lie down on your side for a year that's so strange. But anyway, he did all that. He, was, he, he obeyed God and, and gave a clear message to the people of God. And then there's sort of a couple of shifts that I want to get to. In the middle of all of this, his wife dies. So in 2.24, his wife died. God says, the delight of your eyes. So he loved her and she died. But he says, but I don't want you to mourn publicly because I want them to understand that when the temple is destroyed, to de- is destroyed they're not going to mourn either because it's God's justice. It's like, wow. So, you, you know, you're, you're preaching away to people who don't want to listen, and then in the middle of it all, your wife dies, and he says, no, I don't want you to mourn. 
Now, what that meant was, you know, it didn't mean that he couldn't be sad. Of course he was sad. But the, the, the Israelites had quite an extensive mourning process. You know, they wore certain clothes and they ripped those clothes and they did all these procedures and God said, I don't want you to do all that. So he, you know, he probably had a little cry at home, but not publicly, not the, not the normal way that they mourn. And that was to show that, you know, terrible things happen. And, but if it was God's will, like with Jerusalem being destroyed, then you don't, you, you're not get, you don't get that sad. You say, well, that's, that's God's justice. That's the way it is. So it's a, again, a very strong message. And, you know, I think all of us have things in our life that are very, you know, hard to handle, whether it be actually a death in the family like this or, you know, something that's a death in our own life in the sense that we lose something precious or lose a relationship or a friendship or something. And yet I think what I find exciting about it is that God incorporates it into being part of our life message, that we can take a hold of that tragedy and God will use it for something good. God will, will use it to be whether it's that people can see how we get through it or people can learn from it. And, and I've seen people do this many times. Many Christians have taken something that should be terrible and have used it for God's glory. And so that's another great lesson that we learned from Ezekiel, that he was prepared to, to obey God in how to deal with that death and also to use it, as it were, for, for God to speak to, you know, about something greater. So... Amazing guy to, to keep, and that didn't stop him. That's only in the middle of the book. And then he carries on and keeps ministering and keeps preaching. I mean, a lot of people think, oh, I've had it. That's it, God. These people don't want to listen to me. I've been lying on my side for 390 days. Like he's probably, I've had this strange ministry and now my wife has died. Okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> and he kept going, kept preaching. In fact, Here's the interesting thing. The good bits are coming now. Finally, all of the, I mean, Jerusalem did get destroyed, so that was bad. So, yeah, Jerusalem got destroyed. About the same time his wife died, Jerusalem finally got destroyed. And uh, they came in and they just burnt the city and got the temple and destroyed it, destroyed that temple. So that was the beautiful temple of Solomon's completely smashed to the ground. And that was very, very sad for the Israelites, obviously. But then, and this was the exciting part, Ezekiel began to speak about hope and speak about what the Spirit of the Lord can do from death, from destruction, from difficult preaching, difficult ministry for years and years and years. He, we start to see what the exciting part, and we just, I'll just finish on this. Uh, how, and it, you know, you've heard of this scripture in Ezekiel 37. He says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me by the Spirit of the Lord and put me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. I saw a great many bones and they were very dry. <laughs> Imagine that. This is all these bones. And he said, son of man, can these bones live? And he went, oh, only you know that, God. So he said, prophesy to the bones. And so he prophesied. He said, bones live. And can you imagine the scene? He's just standing there. There's all these dead, basically human bones, human remains, all scattered all over the place from one of the wars. And the bones start rattling. I mean, it would have been like something out of a movie, you know, like... And then they came together and then these, and then these sinews came and started to hold the bones together. And then, and then their bones were all like... They all came together. It says bone on bone, tendons, then flesh came. And then the skin came and covered them. But then they were like this, but they weren't alive. And he said, prophesy. And the bones will live. And he had to breathe the spirit into them. Like, come on, live. And then they, they came to life. And then all these people alive again. They're like, what? 
what's, where, where are we? <laughs> it doesn't say anything about what happened to those people. I guess they just kind of, oh, well, carry on. <laughs> like, I just think they're so randomly weird. Like, how long they've been dead for, I don't know. But away they went, a new batch of people. And so then... <laughs> Ezekiel begins to prophesy. The last few chapters of Ezekiel are full of hope and full of glory and very exciting. And that is really where we need to come, that when we just keep going through the dry times, the tough times, and maybe even the tragic times, we've got to, you know, and you get to that place where you feel like maybe your life is full of dry bones. Like, that's about it now, because there's nothing but dry old bones, old bones everywhere. (laughs) My life is just bones, nothing good. But what do you do? Do you lie down amongst the bones and then might as well join them? Hey, come on, what are we going to do? We've got to prophesy. We've got to believe. If a bone, if God can make a bone live, I mean, surely can heal our bodies or sort out our careers or give us something new, fresh happening. He can pay the fireman at 101. He can do all sorts of great things, can't he? So it's so exciting, but we've got to keep that spirit of prophesy to the bones, to speak positive, to believe the best, not sort of, this is hopeless, but live, come on. And so whatever the situation is that's dead in your life, begin to speak to it, begin to believe for it, say, this can get better. Get a scripture. I always say to people, you've got a scripture. What's your healing scripture? What, you know, and speak to it. Say, this is getting healed. This is getting better. I'm getting stronger. It's coming in. Don't speak. Don't, it's prophesy to the bones. And he begins to do this and prophesy. There's hope. There's increase. He goes on to speak about, you know, to the people, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'm going to bring you back. And then he starts to describe the temple. The temple has just been destroyed, remember? And it's just the sadness of it. But the end, he talks about a new temple. There's going to be a new temple. And there was a new temple. Physically, the Israelites did come back after 70 years and start rebuilding that temple, which has since been destroyed again. But uh, right now on that very spot where this temple was built, destroyed, built, destroyed, and because it got destroyed after Jesus' time. And now you know what they've built on it? You know what's there right now? A big Muslim mosque. <laughs> but apparently the Israelites now, today I've heard this, I don't know if it's true, but it could be, They've got, and because you never let a Jew near it, you know that, like, no way, because they they know what the Jews want to do. They want to get rid of the mosque and put their temple back where it always was. And so apparently the Israelites in Israel today, they've got the whole temple, all the stones, everything cut, ready to go. So the minute that that mosque is destroyed, as every good Jew in Israel wants, the minute it's destroyed, they're going to get that temple, they want to rebuild it again. Now, I'm not condoning that, of course, you know, I'm... No, seriously, I'm not. I, I'm, I, I, I love Muslims. I love Jews. I want them all to get saved. You know, I'm not into Muslims versus Jews. I'm, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I, they all need Jesus as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but that's just what I've heard that the Jews plan to do. So, um, so that spot, but, but Ezekiel went beyond that, beyond blowing up other. You didn't talk about let's blow up the Babylonian temple. I mean, come on. That's hardly love, is it? He got a vision of something new and better. And the temple that he describes, he goes in detail and describes this, this new temple, had different dimensions from Solomon's temple. And this is, this temple is, is us. He's describing a new, he's saying, I'm going to make a new temple and I'm going to live in the midst of that temple and it's us. And I was reading it going, this is us. This is the church. 
This is us as individuals, but it's us together as a, as a people. And God is building us to, to, make, to make this wonderful new temple where it says the glory is going to come. And I truly believe this is the church. This is God wants us to be a great people, to go out there and not sort of say, oh, no one wants to get saved, no one wants to come to youth, no one's going to. It's easy to talk about all that. But we need to prophesy and see what God wants to do. And building that temple, and then he says the river came out. Remember the river that comes out from the temple? That's the river that's going to come out of our building. It come out of here too. The river of life, the anointing, the Holy Spirit that you can just swim in. And it says that this river, it is fruit will serve for food and leaves for the healing of the nations. So, you know, Ezekiel's not only just coming to terms with his own life and dealing with that. He's prophesying all the way to us. He's prophesying to me today. His ministry, from losing his career, he's ministering to us at this very moment, which is exciting to see what God can do when someone will really totally obey God and lay down their life for him. And I just want to finish with one more thing, that as I was looking at the descriptions of this new temple, it's um, it's shaped like, you know, sort of a square kind of shape. It's got these doors. The main door is on the east. And it's there's a courtyard in the middle and it's got rooms all around the courtyard. And, you know, it kind of struck me. It's actually a little bit like 101, you know. It's kind of, you know, it just, it just struck me that it, the shape of it had room, 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 room. And then the courtyard in the middle. And then sort of in the middle in this section here, it's got the, the holy, you know, the inner sanctum and all that. And which we don't sort of, we just have a auditorium but it was kind of like it's kind of a bit like 101 and then I was reading it and then Ezekiel said said and then I looked through the east gate and he said I saw the glory of the Lord and then I thought you know our door actually faces east you know it's it's, it's directly east the door that we've got there and the glory of the Lord and that just kind of excited me just the thought yeah come on let's prophesy that that you know it's great to have a building we're going to pay for it and put it up but it's the glory of the Lord that we want to be in that building it's not just us, not just fire equipment and desks and microphones and stuff. That's what we're building. We're building, we want the glory of the Lord to come, to live in our own lives as individuals, but to live in that place too as a church so that, so that there's a blessing that can go out from there to all the nations that God has called us to. And so I want to end where I, go, where I began, in heaven, the glory. It's very exciting and it's all for us. And we have the opportunity not, not necessarily to go up and see it as some do, but I tell you what, even more exciting, we're going to bring that glory down here and, and prophesy to the dry bones and believe God and stay in that place of anointing and hope in the Holy Spirit and see something exciting happen. Live for a great cause. Amen? Praise God. We hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.